We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 370 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Friday, August 5th, 2022. The drought, my friends, is over. Football games are back. We, on Thursday night, had the NFL preseason opener, the Hall of Fame game, uh, which was delayed by rain, but still, we had the game. Uh, The Commanders, week one opponent, the Jacksonville Jaguars, a 27-11 loss to the Las Vegas Raiders at Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium in Canton, Ohio. And we are off and running the NFL preseason, then the start of the college football season, then the start of the NFL regular season. We are done with not having football games for the rest of the year and into February of next year. Hello and welcome to this Friday installment of the Al Galdi Podcast, the only Washington, D.C. sports podcast or show for which there is a new episode every weekday and out oh so early each weekday, out by the 5 a.m. hour each weekday and often much sooner than that. And always know uh, this is a podcast that gives you timestamps. Yes, I painstakingly provide timestamps for every episode, so you know when is what with each episode, and you can pick and choose which topics you listen to, if you so choose, although you should listen to every segment of every show at least once and maybe twice. (laughs) Uh, Good to have you with us. In honor of the return of actual football games, I, on this installment of the podcast, have a special guest for you, Commander's Analyst and former Redskins tight end, Logan Paulson. Uh, Logan is outstanding at talking commanders, X's and O's. He understands this stuff like few others, and he's been attending commanders training camp practices. Uh, he's a really good dude, and he's going to spend some time with us talking commanders. Uh, you will hear high-level analysis of the commander's defense, of Carson Wentz, of the running back situation with Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson Jr., and perhaps most notable of all, of Jahan Dodson. Wait till you hear what Logan Paulson has to say about Jahan Dodson. Uh, Trust me, Logan Paulson on this show with a deep dive on the commanders of what he has seen at training camp coming up in just a bit. Before Logan, though, uh, I will discuss something that was a big topic at commanders training camp on Thursday morning, the position of edge defender. Uh, Rod Rivera on Thursday morning talked about the team's primary backup edge defenders who are taking on more significance with Chase Young out for at least week one of the 2022 season. The team's top healthy edge defender, Montez Sweat, he on Thursday provided blunt honesty about his 2021 season. I'll get into all of this and a lot more next segment, uh, which will include, yes, the name... Bunmi Rotimi, Rod Rivera's favorite name to say. Rotimi Bumi? Yes, something like that. Bunmi Rotimi, Rotimi Bumi, you say potato, I say potato, okay? Uh, Also on the show, I'll talk Nationals. Uh, They on Thursday night lost 
at the Philadelphia Phillies 5-4 in a rain-shortened game that lasted for just four and a half innings. The game, though, did feature the Nats' debut of Luke Voigt. Uh, he was one of the six players who the Nats got back from the San Diego Padres on Tuesday afternoon in the trading away of you-know-who and Josh Bell. Uh, also, I do have some updates on some of the other players who the Nats got from the Padres for you-know-who and Josh Bell. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. More feedback on the Nats trading you-know-who, a.k.a. Juan Soto. Uh, I am here for you. This podcast is here for you. This podcast is like therapy. Uh, Email from BJ. I'm sorry if I'm the only one in DC thinking this, but Juan screwed us all. He kept saying he doesn't control this, but last I checked, nearly $30 million a year for 15 years could have been accepted by Juan and Juan alone. Thinking big picture for the Nats, it would have allowed for the Nats to build around one, but he would rather get traded, make meaningless more money, and screw us forever. Oh, Juan, oh, how you screwed us. <laughs> Thank you for that email, BJ. Well, I would not say that Juan Soto screwed Nats fans. What really screwed Nats fans in this Juan Soto situation was like a confluence of circumstances. All of these various things coming together at the same time. Number one, the collapse of the team to where it more and more was looking like the team would not be good again by the time that Soto hits free agency in the 2024-2025 offseason. Number two, the ownership uncertainty of the Nets. The learners deciding to sell the team. Number three, the nature of the learners in general, uh, that they are usually not very aggressive or proactive in trying to sign players to contract extensions. And number four, the nature of how good Soto is and the nature of his agent, Scott Boris, making Soto agreeing on a contract extension prior to hitting free agency difficult from the get-go. All four of those things coming together at the same time made for a brutal predicament for Nats fans regarding retaining Juan Soto. This was part of why I months ago on this podcast did a segment on how the long-term outlook on the Nats keeping Soto was pessimistic. Uh, I did that back in May, uh, episode 314 of the podcast. Email from Michael Lindsay, PhD, yet another smarty pants who listens to this podcast. Uh, Subject, WWDD, what would Dan do? As in Dan Snyder, writes Michael, Tuesday was truly a sad day in D.C. sports history. As if the Redskins becoming the Commanders wasn't enough, I asked the question, how can a sports franchise trade away the franchise? I imagined Juan Soto donning a Nationals uniform for the rest of his career. To say I'm heartbroken would not do my state of feelings true justice. I cannot fully describe the pain I feel. It hurts so bad. Two other questions for your consideration. The first is related to the subject line of my email, WWDD. Like him or hate him, most of the Redskins, ahem, Commanders fans hate him, uh, I can't imagine Dan would allow the franchise player to get out of town in the snap of a finger. Someone might say he let Kirk Cousins walk and Trent Williams too. While each was great, I would not describe either of them as once-in-a-generation players. In Dan's case, I believe he would throw everything but the kitchen sink at Soto to keep him happy and here. Ted Leonsis would also do everything to retain Soto too. See the grade eight. My point here is the learners blew it, and that is really sad. This cannot be forgiven. Without question and irrespective of his agent, the Nationals should have backed up a Brinks truck to Soto's front door. The Nats blew it with Soto. The second question pertains to whether we might, at some level, blame the pandemic for Soto's departure. In other words, how much did the Nationals not having the year post a World Series title to properly celebrate their title, capitalize off the merchandising of a title, and with it all engender a sense of fanaticism among the fan base resulting from a World Series title, actually hurt the Nats' chances of retaining Soto? You may have mentioned this at some point, but did the loss of revenue postseason after winning the World Series hurt the Nationals' cause 
in retaining Soto. What seems like a moment that should have been celebrated for years, i.e. the World Series title, seems like it's in a dark room of the distant past. I'd argue that trading Soto away diminishes any residual fanaticism about the Nationals for me. I remain a daily listener of the podcast. Congrats on making it a huge success. Well, thank you for that, Michael. Uh, Very interesting email. So the Dan Snyder angle, if Dan Snyder owned the Nats, would Juan Soto still be on the Nats? Uh, What's tough about answering that question is that the Redskins slash Washington football team slash commanders have not had a player of the caliber of Juan Soto during Dan's time as owner of the team. Like the NFL equivalent of Juan Soto is a young franchise quarterback. Think Patrick Mahomes. Think Joe Burrow. Think Justin Herbert. Juan Soto isn't, say, Jonathan Allen or Terry McLaurin as good as those players are. And so while Dan has extended those guys, Dan has never had a young, elite franchise quarterback. So we can't say with certainty whether Dan Snyder would have found a way to get a long-term mega money contract extension with Juan Soto done. Uh, Also, if Dan owned the Nats, uh, they probably would have a myriad of off-the-field scandals and controversies that uh, maybe would have compelled Soto to not want to stay with the team. Who knows? But uh, yeah, it is an interesting thing to think about. Uh, As for the point about the COVID-19 pandemic, look, there's no doubt that that hurt the Nats and hurt the Nats in a lot of ways. The Nats picked maybe the worst season ever in which to win a World Series because they ended up not reaping the financial windfall and true good graces of winning a World Series due to the resulting shutdowns from COVID. And when you combine that with the team having completely fallen off since that 2019 season, that is quite the double whammy. I mean, it's almost like the Nats have barely benefited from having won a World Series and they just won the World Series three years ago. There's another aspect to all of this, too, and that is baseball in the Washington, D.C. area in general. The Nats still are relatively new to the D.C. area. The team's first season in D.C. was 2005. If you are the Nats and you're trying to grow not only your fan base, but also the sport of baseball in general in the area. You're trying to create new fans of your team and of the sport of baseball. You're trying to capture the attention of kids and teenagers with these like microwave attention spans. Losing a young, exciting, elite, and charismatic player in Juan Soto does you no favors in trying to grow the team and grow the sport. Now, maybe some of the prospects slash young players who the Nats got back from the San Diego Padres end up becoming young, exciting, elite, and charismatic players. I certainly hope so. But of course, there is no guarantee uh, that that's going to happen. Well, the players who the Nats got back from the Padres are going to be looking for homes in the Washington, D.C. area, and I know who they should call. The great Kellen Hunt. If you are on the hunt for a home in the D.C. area, get with Kellen Hunt. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. If you have questions and concerns about buying a home right now, Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt has his finger on the pulse of developments all around the Washington, D.C. area. He is a DMV native. He lives and breathes the culture of the area. He has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to local neighborhoods and economical development and schools and market conditions and all that makes the Washington, D.C. area unique. And Kellen Hunt closes deals. He wins. He is here for you to listen to what you want and then get you what you want, no matter your age, family situation, or financial situation. Kellen Hunt can help you. He is a real estate agent for real people. And Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yeah, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. Who doesn't want some extra money right now, given inflation? Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs, and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. You have nothing to lose. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. Book your introductory call with Kellen Hunt at CloseItWithKell.com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well. By going with Kel. Visit CloseItWithKel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. 
Well, Thursday was day nine of 2022 Commander's Training Camp, uh, which is taking place at the team's headquarters in Ashburn, Virginia. And off padded practices on Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning, we on Thursday morning had a light practice, a bit of a breather of a practice, uh, what was a walkthrough that took place indoors, uh, took place in the indoor practice facility, a.k.a. the bubble. Uh, So when it comes to injured players on Thursday morning, there wasn't much to gather uh, because the team did not conduct a true practice. Uh, We did, though, have guard Trey Turner in street clothes, so he remains out with his quadriceps issue. Uh, Wes Schweitzer has been working as the team's starting right guard. Uh, The commanders on Thursday morning did announce two roster transactions. Uh, The team has waived linebacker Drew White with an injury designation. He's an undrafted rookie out of Notre Dame. He, on Tuesday morning, suffered a torn ACL. Uh, And the commanders have signed unrestricted free agent corner Devontae Bosby. Uh, He has bounced around professional football, has not played in an NFL regular season game since the 2020 season. The most interesting things to me from commanders training camp on Thursday had to do with the team at the position of edge defender. Uh, We know that Chase Young will be out for week one, and you would think that he'll be out for longer than just week one. Chase, of course, suffered a season-ending torn right ACL in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field last November 14th. The Commanders on July 26th, the day on which players reported for 2022 Commanders training camp, put Chase on the active, physically unable to perform list. And head coach Ron Rivera at a post-training camp practice press conference on July 29th said that Chase will not be available for at least week one of the 2022 season. So what now for the commanders at the position of edge defender? Uh, Well, obviously, uh, there would seem to be more onus on Montez Sweat, more on him in a bit. But Ron Rivera at his post-practice press conference on Thursday morning addressed the team's other primary edge defenders, uh, of which there actually are quite a few. Uh, You have F.A. Obata, the commander signed him as an unrestricted free agent this past March. Uh, he played for, you guessed it, the Carolina Panthers, uh, 2018 through 2020, then played for the Buffalo Bills last season. Uh, you have James Smith-Williams. Uh, Washington took Smith-Williams with the second of the team's two seventh-round picks in the 2020 NFL draft out of NC State. Uh, he recently has been dealing with a hip ailment. You have Casey Tuhill. Washington claimed Tuhill off waivers from the Philadelphia Eagles in October 2020. The Eagles took Tuhill in the seventh round of the 2020 NFL draft out of Stanford. Uh, you have Shaka Tony. Uh, Washington took Tony with the team's second seventh round pick in the 2021 NFL draft out of Penn State. You have William Bradley King. Washington took Bradley King with the team's first of three seventh round picks in the 2021 NFL draft out of Baylor. You have Bunmi Rotimi. Uh, Washington initially signed Rotimi as an unrestricted free agent in July 2021. Uh, He's a local. He attended West Potomac High School in Alexandria, Virginia, went to Old Dominion University. So you have all of these edge defender options for the commanders as they are set to begin the 2022 regular season without Chase Young. Uh, Ron Rivera, during a post-practice press conference on Thursday morning, discussed a number of these guys. Here was Ron on James Smith-Williams, Casey Tuhill, F.A. Obata, William Bradley King, and Shaka Tony. James is a, 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 a uh, is, is more of a uh, six-technique type player. He's got a good body, good physical style player. He's going to get a little bit more push. Uh, more so than he's going to get more of the finesse on the outside on the edge. Uh, Casey has been a, a, a true physical, try-hard guy that, that gets upfield, relies on his, his initial quickness, and then goes from there. Uh, F.A. Obad is a, um, a very uh, um, by-the-numbers guy. I mean, he's learned the game. He's still learning the game, to be honest with you. But he's got some good natural skill sets that, that really fit well for a pass rusher. Um, he's just got to learn to continue to develop who he is as a pass rusher. Um, uh, Bradley King has been really uh, – he's been very interesting to watch. He's done some really good things. He's got a little bit to him. He's got heavy hands. Um, he does a nice job on the edge. Uh, if he can get his pad level down, I think he'll win even even more. Um, probably the, the guy that gives you the, the, a little bit something as a situational pass rusher. Um, is Shaka Tony. He's a guy that's uh, got great anticipation, gets off the ball, has a nice dip and can lean and make that turn on the edge. Um, he's, he's, he's a guy that's intriguing for us, a guy that we're watching and paying attention to. So just really like what he's, he's bringing to the table.
All right. So a good breakdown there from Ron Rivera on a number of the commander's backup edge defenders. Uh, Ron, in that response, did not address F.A. Obata, but Ron later in his post-practice press conference on Thursday morning did address F.A. Obata. The F.A. Obata story really is something. He was born in Nigeria. He, at 10 years old, was the victim of human trafficking. He eventually lived in London, where he would play for the London Warriors of the British American Football Association National Leagues. Uh, He came into the NFL through the NFL International Player Pathway Program. He, in 2018, became the first player from the program to make the 53-man roster of an NFL team by making the 53-man roster of the Panthers, who at the time had Ron Rivera as their head coach. Uh, Ron, on Thursday morning on F.A. Obata. When I first had him, he was very anxious. You know, he, he wanted to get out and continue to do things. And I, th- I think it, it, it got him to where he, he wasn't focusing on, you know, just learning just, hey, this is what you've got to learn. This is what you've got to understand and take it to the next level. And now you see that he has worked on specific things and he's gotten better and better on those things. Um, whether it's understanding the significance of, you know, get off with leverage, hand placement, you know, and then having the counter ready to go or the feel is, hey, I've got this angle. I just got to keep pushing it. Sometimes he'd, he'd start up field and come underneath way too soon. Now he's got to understand that he, he looks like he, he's understood that once I get to a specific level, I can work back underneath. I mean, those are the little things that, that weren't innate for him. He didn't have that true understanding because, again, he was just developing as a guy. Yeah, with him and Bada, I mean, you've got two international guys there. Yep. Is there a benefit to the whole roster into team chemistry to have guys with stories like that and, and backgrounds like that? Yeah, because I, I think I think for our guys, you know, you know, not being an international player, you have a little more appreciation for guys and, and that, that come in and and just see what they've had to go through, how hard they've had to work. Um, the international players have a different flair about them in terms of their work ethic. Um, there, there's not a lot of um, bad habits. Uh, so you're trying to create good habits for them, trying to get them to understand exactly what it takes to, to be successful. You know, um, one thing I will say, and we're very fortunate because the three international guys we have, and, and I'm throwing Samus in that mix, are all three tremendous athletes. They really are. And and we're very fortunate to have those guys. One of the benefits of having an international player like a guy like David, who's still in the learning process, is that he's here. He's a practice squad guy. He's, he's a bonus guy. It doesn't count against our numbers um and so you you have time to watch him develop and grow um usually it's a two two and a half year process before you see it in my opinion um if the guy has a chance and 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 david's getting real close to that spot yeah david bada is a german defensive lineman who washington in july 2020 received via the nfl's International Player Pathway Program. Going back to the commander's backup edge defenders, it's worth noting that every one of those guys, with the exception of F.A. Obata, is a young player. Uh, There was talk last year of Washington acquiring a veteran edge defender, but the team did not do that. And consequently, a lot of the team's young edge defenders ended up getting a good bit of playing time last season with Chase Young and Montez Sweat missing so much time. Ron Rivera on Thursday morning was asked if he believes that not acquiring a veteran edge defender last year and going with younger backup edge defenders paid off. I do, because I think they've had to play a lot. Um, you know, and, and that's one of the nice things about when you're able to keep um, giving young guys opportunities and putting them out there is that they're going to play. Um, if you look at the transition that this, this uh, roster has gone through in terms of the age, you notice it's a young group of guys, but those guys have played a lot of football already, um, and so they're learning how to play the game because they've been on the field and exposed to being on the field. Um, you know, as I talked about last year, my big concern last year was just maturity. Um, I, I think we're where we need to be in, in the sense of that. Um, now it's just continuing to grow and develop. Yeah, something that remains undeniable is that Washington's defense last season was at its best while Chase Young and Montez Sweat were out. Uh, This remains a very peculiar thing about Washington's 2021 season. The team last season played its best defense over a five-game stretch, weeks 10 through 14. Chase Young missed all but a quarter and a half of those five games. It was in the second quarter of the win over the Bucs at FedEx Field in Week 10, 
that he suffered his season-ending torn right ACL. Montez Sweat missed all five of those games. Uh, He was on the reserve injured list due to a fractured jaw that was suffered in the loss at the Denver Broncos in week eight and then was on the reserve COVID-19 list. Uh, However, no reasonable person can argue that the commanders are at their best without Chase Young and Montez Sweat. The team just needs those guys to be at their best. Uh, This coming season is a big season for Montez Sweat. The commanders this past April 27th announced that they had exercised the fifth-year option in his rookie contract. No surprise. Uh, If he has a big 2022 season, he very much will be a candidate for a big money contract extension in the 2023 offseason. Montez, in the 2021 regular season, played in just 10 of Washington's 17 games. He missed those aforementioned five games, and he then was inactive for Washington's final two games due to a tragedy, uh, the shooting death of his brother Anthony Sweat this past December 28th. Uh, Montez's production in the 2021 regular season was better than Chase Young's production, but neither guy had a good season by his standards, and it remains quite telling that Ron Rivera, in a piece that came out last November 4th on the team's official website, said regarding Chase Young and Montez Sweat, quote, we would like to see a little bit more from those guys. They need to stop pressing and trust their teammates, end quote. Montez Sweat on Thursday morning did a post-practice press conference. Here he was on where he's at entering the 2022 season. I'm in a great space. Uh, I just, like I said, I want to win. Uh, I want to help everyone around me be, be great and just keep on moving forward. What about Chase Young being out for at least week one? Is Montez Sweat feeling more pressure to produce? Not at all. Um, I just think like football is it's, it's 11 people out there on one side of the ball. Everybody has to do their job for the train to keep on going. Montez Sweat, over his 10 games in the 2021 regular season, had five sacks, uh, which ranked number two on Washington. He had 24 pressures per sport radar. uh, That ranked number three on Washington. And Montez was number one on Washington with an average of 2.4 pressures per game. Uh, He had 13 quarterback hits which ranked number three on Washington. He had three forced fumbles, which ranked number one on Washington. And he registered an overall grade for pro football focus of 75.6. PFF grades are on a scale of zero to 100. It's not that Montez Sweat was like wretched last season. It's more like Montez Sweat wasn't great last season, and he has the ability to be great. Here was Montez on Thursday morning on how he feels about his play last season. Uh, I'm not good enough, so I just want to keep on improving and just being a better me. Yeah, you know, you don't get a lot of long, expansive answers from Montez Sweat, but that's fine. Uh, And I like that answer that he gave. Not good enough. No, neither he nor Chase Young was good enough last season. And Ron Rivera last season made that clear. Up next, our special guest, commander's analyst and former Redskins tight end, Logan Paulson. In-depth breakdown of the commanders, including what Logan has been seeing at 2022 commanders training camp from the defense, Jahan Dotson, Terry McLaurin, Carson Wentz, Cole Turner, and others. If you are a commanders fan, and I know that so many of you are, uh, you do not want to miss this. Logan Paulson, straight ahead. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for subscribing. Uh, Don't forget to give the podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And if you're really feeling kind and nice and generous, uh, please write a brief review saying that you like the podcast. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. Well, as 2022 Commander's Training Camp continues, I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi Podcast one of the smartest, most insightful people out there right now when it comes to talking commanders. Commanders analyst and former Redskins tight end Logan Paulson. Uh, He played for the Skins from 2010 through 2014. He has been doing a lot of broadcasting work for the Commanders, uh, for their website and YouTube channel. He'll be serving as the sideline analyst and reporter for telecasts of Commanders preseason games this year. He is the co-host of the Take Command podcast, and he puts out a lot of good content on his Instagram. His Instagram handle is Logan underscore Paulson 82. Logan, it's great to talk to you. How are you? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. So it's tricky with training camp practices, right? What matters, what doesn't, what's telling, what isn't. Uh, You've watched a lot of the commander's training camp practices so far this year. When you're watching a commander's training camp practice, what from these practices matters to you? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think, uh, like, everything matters. You know, I'm evaluating individual personnel. I'm evaluating scheme. I'm evaluating um, kind of the general feel of practice, you know, and kind of how competitive it is. And I think those are all things that I'm taking a look at. So, uh, you know, with regards to what I find most important, obviously the, the individual evaluations are, are high because you got to make sure you got a competitive football team that is going to be competitive from just having the right people. And then schematically, what's what's competitive? And so offensively, I think they've done, a, you know, they're improving over the last couple of days. I think they had a rough start. First five days was a little bit of rough. And then uh, the defense has just been outstanding probably since the beginning of training camp. They look like a group that's ready for, for football in 2022. Ron Rivera, during his post-practice press conferences on Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning, talked about how non-padded practices lend themselves toward defenses doing better than offenses. And sure enough, the commander's offense in the padded practices on Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning looked better than the offense had been looking. To what extent, if at all, have the nature of the practices entered into your evaluations of the commander's defense in these practices? I think the defenses look sharp even in the padded practices. Obviously, there were some issues on uh, Tuesday with like in terms of how they were fitting runs. And I think you know one of the advantages of having pads is that it it that's how offensive linemen are to- are coached to block is to kind of grab the pads and find ways to hold on and find ways to sustain blocks. So as they become more effective at that, the defense is becoming less effective at penetrating it, you know, uh, disengaging from uh, from blocks. So I think that that's something that's important to note that the running game looked much much better. Um, you know, the last two days with pads and i think that that's good to get that out of the way now because the defense needs to learn how to disengage from blocks when they got pads on but from a coverage standpoint which i think is probably the more important metric at the moment uh the defense has been very very consistent throughout you know the back end kendall fuller william jackson the third bobby mccain cam curl uh, benjamin st juice is now in that mix too as the nickel player have just done a really nice job a playing physically and, and 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 being very courageous in terms of their coverage philosophy and also um you know matching concepts very very well this defense is very very challenging because a lot of their stuff they're doing is 
post step in terms of reaction. And so getting that all communicated, identifying different route stems, identifying different formations and how to match them has been a big deal for them. So uh, they've done an excellent job in that category, which is good to see. William Jackson III in a post-practice press conference this past Saturday morning talked about the commander's defense having been modified somewhat off the struggles of last season. Are you seeing schematic changes to the defense versus what you saw last season? Yeah, I think there is some differences. One of the things that sticks out to me is that they seem to be a little bit more focused on creating pressure outside of the front four rushers, right? So one of the things that everyone was talking about last year was how, you know, Montez Sweat and Chase Young were going to break the sack record. And they really relied on those those four guys, you know, Payne and Allen, to create pressure. On the, against that uh, for for the defense, and now you know they had success when Chase and Montez went out. One of the reasons was because Jack kind of said we're going to scheme up some blitzes and kind of force offenses to get in one on one situations with our good rushers, and they've done that. They've done that very very well, and it's helped the back end in terms of coverage philosophy because the timing to get the ball out has been much more consistent. And what I mean by that is, as a DB, you should have a clock in your head about when the ball should be out, and as a result, like I know when the receivers needs to make his break break based on the kind of rush package that they've got. And the defense has been outstanding from that rush perspective. Um, I think they're doing a little bit more quarters. Like last year, they kind of relied a lot on cover two or Tampa two. And this year, that, that's not been quite a, quite a big point of emphasis, right? Much more quarters, which is a much more aggressive t- uh, defense uh, kind of man in a way. It can be man if you get four verticals. And so that's been, uh, that's been very, very nice to see that, that kind of a, the aggressiveness and also the different packages they have off that quarters coverage shell you know they're able to get to some cover three they're able to get to some cover two but I think predominantly quarters or palms is what they want to be doing this year you earlier in our conversation used a phrase that I've heard you use before matching concepts uh what exactly is meant by that and how are the commanders doing in that regard so let's just take like a very simple concept which would be like there's two receivers to the right of the offensive formation and if and if one goes vertical, that tells you nothing. Basically, it doesn't tells you nothing about the concept. So as a D, as a quarterback, I need to have eyes on number one and number two. If number two and number one go vertical, I know that there's only a certain number of route concepts that they can run. Right? If number two if number one goes vertical and number two goes in. I know that something else is coming across. And so now I'm going to have a new number two here in a moment, right? So understanding the stems of the routes and what concepts that the defense or the offense can run off of those stems helps you kind of, again, match the concept, match the way that the D, that the offense is trying to attack your coverage. And it's very, very challenging for new players to learn that. I mean, the most effective defenses in the NFL right now, that's what they do. The Buffalo Bills, the, the Green Bay Packers, that's their coverage philosophy and they have the best coverage units in the league. Again, they have personnel to match that, but they do a great job matching concepts. And um, so that's part of the reason, like you kind of game plan concepts, you know, like I don't want to cover every concept that's done under the sun. I want to do what this team does and know how they run it and be able to match it and uh, match, match it in a way that um, allows this defense to be the most effective. Does that answer your question? It does. It does. It makes sense. We know that Washington's pass defense was a big problem last season. Is it accurate to say that talent was not the problem that Washington's past defense struggles last season were mostly about the opposing quarterbacks who the team faced and players adjusting to the scheme and to each other and not every player being used to the best of his ability. Were Washington's past defense struggles last season mostly a function of things other than talent? Yeah, I think that's, again, that's an outstanding question. And what I, what I would say to that is last year, there was a lot of miscommunications. You know, we just talked about matching concepts and they just did not have the communication at a place where they could do that at a high level, right? They hadn't worked together enough to know like how to communicate with each other, what they were seeing. They hadn't been in the defense long enough to effectively do that. And right now there's just way less air in this defense, right? Everything's very, very tight. There's not a lot of confusion. There's not a lot of false steps. There's not a lot of indecision. And to me, that's all indications that their communication is so much better. They all understand conceptually what they're supposed to be doing at a much higher level. I think that just kind of, again, so to answer your question, yes, the talent's here. They just kind of adapted to the system. And I think they're going to be much more effective also in part because they don't have to face that kind of vaunted, uh, you know, run of quarterbacks that they had last year. Ron Rivera has made it clear that the commanders will be making heavy usage of the Buffalo Nickel this coming season. There's not an obvious player for that role, but there certainly are a number of candidates for that role. Uh, Who do you see filling that role? 
Right. So I think it just depends on situation and like what you're trying to get out of the position. So, you know, first and second down, I think you want, I think they want Cam Curl to be that guy. And I think that means that you have to move one of those guys you mentioned, Percy Butler or Forrest, to kind of the post safety or, you know, stronger free safety. They don't really have a stronger free safety in this defense, but one of those safety spots. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing of who ends up kind of taking that post-safety spot from Cam Curl to get him down in the box. Um, you know, if it's third down, I think they feel very, very good about Benjamin St. Juice in a full nickel role. I think they're kind of experimenting with him at the moment about whether he can take on some of that first and second down responsibility. You know, he's a cornerback. He's very long. He's been outstanding in coverage. Again, kind of a part of that group that's just communicating at a very high level, but part of being a nickel player, you got to fit runs. And so how does he do with that responsibility? I think that's going to be very challenging. Percy Butler's kind of been the backup to Cam Curl in that kind of first and second down Buffalo nickel role. And he does flash because he's very, very fast. When he recognizes what's going on, he gets the football very, very quickly. And I think that's uh, that's exciting and it's encouraging. I don't know how well he takes on blocks. He, you know, if he can kind of skirt you and skate you and beat you to the punch, he's very good. But, like, he's not a big man necessarily, he, you know, he's 190 pounds uh, and not like he's kind of a slider build. So it'll be interesting to see how that progresses. But right now I think what they want to be and what they want to do is cam curl on first and second down or kind of versus your base personnel packages, Benjamin St. Juiced on third down, and then keep an eye on Percy Butler to kind of see if you could alleviate some of that pressure. If one of those young guys can't play the post safety. The emergence of Benjamin St. Juice as the commander's primary nickel corner, two potential concerns might be, A, he hasn't played a lot of nickel in either college or the NFL. B, he is unusually big for a nickel corner, although we are seeing bigger slot receivers these days. Are either of those potential concerns actual concerns for you with St. Juice as the team's primary nickel corner? Uh, you know, quite frankly, no. And I, I, maybe I wouldn't have been concerned, but I've watched every OTA practice, every mini camp practice, every training camp practice, and the dude's just been lights out, quite frankly. And if you watch his college tape, one of the things that you like about him is he, you know, he's not necessarily the fastest guy, I think around four or five, but his short area metrics, like his three cone is five to ten five are like we're like best in his class or something crazy like that so his short area quickness is very very high for for anybody but especially for a man of his size and so he does really well with those matchups in the slot and he matches up really well against who i think right now is the best receiver on the team and Jahan dotson and really gives him fits and Jahan is a small guy very quick but it doesn't show up the same way because in addition to his quick feet, like Benjamin Zajus also has outstanding arm length. So he's able to get his hands on guys and use that as a tool to recover. He's also shown some aptitude as a blitzer. So it'll be interesting to see. Like, I, I think he's very well fit for the position. I think the biggest concern with him was the health issues that he had last year with regressive concussion. Nickel position is much more physical generally than like an outside corner spot. So how does he handle that um, given his medical history? Linebacker, uh, for all of the talk of the commanders needing to upgrade at linebacker or potentially signing a free agent linebacker of consequence, the team since the end of last season has done next to nothing at linebacker. Ron Rivera pretty clearly is pretty comfortable with what the commanders have at linebacker. Are you comfortable with what the commanders have at linebacker? So I think, you know, this is more of a, like a philosophical question than anything. I think when you look at linebackers in the NFL, like the position value is decreasing. And I, and I think a big reason for that is it's hard to find people who can successfully play linebacker in the NFL. Like you're getting so much in terms of responsibility. You got run reads, play action, screens. You got to drop in coverage. You got to play man. You got to match backs. So it's hard to find a perfect person to kind of fill that role. And when you look at the guys' grades who played last year, I know they both would tell you that they could have improved. I think Cole was trending very, very up near the end of the year. And so was Jamin, for that matter. But um, Cole specifically, and when you look at their grades, especially over the last five games, like their grades are better than any free agent linebacker you'd find right now. And most starting, and, and they're about in line with most starting linebackers in the NFL. It just speaks to kind of how challenging the position is. So my question to fans or people who want to upgrade is, how much do you want to invest for a position that is going to be average? And it's not because the player's average. It's just because the demands on the position are almost impossible to meet given today's uh, climate and the way they attack that middle level, level of the defense. Yeah, and we know that the frequency with which Washington last season had more than two linebackers on the field was really low. So linebacker in today's NFL isn't necessarily the need 
uh, that the position used to be. Much more with Logan Paulson in moments. Do not worry. Uh, I heard what he said about Jahan Dodson being the best receiver on the Commanders. I will ask Logan about that in moments. But the best dermatologist in the Mid-Atlantic region is Dr. George Verghese. Did you know that skin cancer, of which Ron Rivera is a survivor, is among the most common of all cancers in the United States? The good news is that skin cancer also is among the most curable forms of cancer. Get checked, get screened, and someone who very much can help you with that is Dr. George Verghese. He and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings. Yes, free. Call 301-396-3401 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Dr. George Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He is a big fan of the Commanders. He is a loyal listener of this podcast, and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. And yes, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings and offer state-of-the-art treatments for skin cancer. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are the DMV's number one outlet for Mohs skin cancer surgery and for superficial radiation therapy, or SRT, which is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. You will not find better, more state-of-the-art, or more comprehensive skin treatment and services than what you can get from Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Early detection and treatment of skin cancer save lives. If you have questions or concerns about your skin, call Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland at 301-396-3401. That's 301-396-3401. Make sure that you tell the Institute that Al Galdi sent you. That's 301-396-3401. You can also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. Uh, more now with Commander's Analyst and former Redskins tight end Logan Paulson. So, Logan, uh, you said something that I'm sure caught a lot of people's attention. Jahan Dodson is the best receiver on the team. Uh, that certainly stands out. Why do you feel that way? I mean, I just, I, I, again, I, I think people would have expected me to say Terry, and I, and I don't have any slight against Terry. I think he's just had a, he hasn't, he's been, he's been quiet. He's been quiet. I think he had a big catch the first day on a post, but in terms of big plays and kind of manufacturing big plays, the guy that's been at the forefront of that is Jahan. And I think he's just a guy who understands route running nuance at a very, very high level, and he can win. Um, he scored a couple touchdowns to the red zone the other day. He, every single day he makes some type of explosive play like and again that's a feature of his usage and again like that's a big deal you know like that's a big deal that's a big feature is is how the, the staff uses him and also his relationship with Carson Wentz like in OTAs they were best friends you could tell and that's continued and, and Carson looks for him he trusts him and uh, is going to try and get him the football and I think that's another reason why he's been so productive. So Jahan Dotson has had a better training camp than Terry McLaurin has had. Is Dotson legitimately a better? I, 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 like I don't want I don't want people to miss Kobe. He's been more productive than Terry okay. in camp, and I think that that's something to consider. Like it's it's important. It's a metric, right? When one of the reasons you're evaluating guys in training camp is how many plays do they make, and he's made a lot of plays. And so like I think that's valuable. And and if we're just looking at plays instead of salary or name, like. Jahan would be the better weapon at this moment because of usage and because of what's going on in training camp. Okay, so looking toward the 2022 season, do you think that it's possible that we'll end up saying that John Dotson and not Terry McLaurin was the best receiver on the Commanders in the 2022 season? I do think anything's possible, no doubt. I think um, based on training camp and based on OTAs, I think that's I don't want to say it's likely, but yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely a possibility. And I don't want anyone to think that I'm sliding Terry here. It's just that Dotson's been more productive in the in the practices that I've seen, and so I think he deserves his credit. Terry also deserves his credit. Like he's a tremendous player. So I don't want to think I'm by by giving Dotson credit for something. I don't want to think I'm taking away from Terry in any way. But um, yeah, I think that that's definitely a possibility. Hey, you know, in today's media world, no one would ever take something out of context and run with it. Okay, I mean, come on. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, it's, uh, I, I, you know, I was very naive when I first started doing this and now I got to make sure everything <laughs> has a little bit of a modifier on it and everyone knows what's going on. So, <laughs> uh, all right. Carson Wentz, simple question, perhaps a complicated answer, but how has he looked to you so far in commander's training camp? So I've told everybody this in OTAs, OTAs, um, he had maybe the best OTA period I've ever seen. Like he was that good. And then in minicamp, he started coming back to earth. And that kind of coincided with the defense increasing their pressure package and philosophy. And uh, the defense, like I said earlier, when we were talking about the defensive backs have kind of maintained that same level of pressure. And as a result, um, Carson has looked a little unsettled. You know, uh, when you're in seven on seven periods, when you're in two minute where they're kind of mitigating the rush, uh, he looks very sharp. He looks on it. Um, but I'd say on the whole, he's been inaccurate. He's been inconsistent. Um, and that's kind of been what's characterized him most over the first couple of, uh, over the first seven days of camp, six days of camp, whatever day we're on. So regarding Carson Wentz in the 2022 season, what concerns you and what do you feel good about? So I think the thing, there's always going to be a level of flux in Carson's play. That's why he's moved around the last couple of years. He's not, you know, I think he's a, I think he's a top five talent. I think, but his production obviously does not mirror his physical skill set necessarily. And that's why, you know, quarterback's a tough position to evaluate because he's got everything you want, but there's a certain kind of magic to the position that is really hard to quantify. And um, and so what I was hoping from Carson is that, like, despite his kind of inconsistent play, you would get some plus variance in explosive plays and some plus variance in turnovers. And ultimately the plus plus plays and uh, explosive plays would be advantageous to the offense. And I think the thing that's been kind of concerning is that there hasn't been an increase in explosive plays uh, with Carson. There's been an increase in turnovers over the first couple of days of training camp, but not, he hasn't quite found his rhythm on the deep passes yet. And so for me, I'm hoping that that all kind of normalized. So he'll fall somewhere between what he's done the first five days of training camp and mini camp and kind of the amazing period he had during OTAs and kind of be in the middle there. A guy who's going to turn the football over some, but also add some explosive elements to the offense that make the whole group better. Carson Wentz in his NFL career has never quarterbacked an offense that wasn't masterminded by either Doug Peterson or Frank Reich. How do you see the schematic fit of what Scott Turner does with Carson Wentz? I mean, on paper, you think it's going to be perfect because, you know, this Scott's kind of this Air Coriel disciple, you know, much like his father and um, other systems that, you know, have partaken in that. Um, you know, the greatest show on turf is an Air Coriel derivative, right? So obviously an offense that can be very successful in the NFL. And you think that Carson's big arm and all the explosive playmakers this team has, it would be kind of a match made in heaven. Uh, I will say there is a slight concern in the sense that Carson traditionally holds the ball longer than most quarterbacks in the NFL. And by adding these kind of long developing concepts, like are you – kind of leaning into something that he doesn't do very well. Like, is he going to hold the ball longer? Is he going to stress the O-line more? Those are concerns that I have, um, especially with a bunch of O-linemen who, to their credit, since the pads have come on, have played much, much better. Uh, but, you know, there's no, like, standout name on, in that group. And offensive line, you can always get a group playing better than the sum of its parts, and I think that's what this group's going to be. But how do you kind of make sure that you get that explosive element, but also kind of mitigate Carson holding the football for a long period of time? And I think that's something to keep an eye on is can you get the ball out of his hand quickly while still maintaining the thing that makes this offense so effective? Let's talk your position, tight end. Uh, it could be that Cole Turner ends up being the commander's TE1 in week one, uh, given that Logan Thomas is on the active, physically unable to perform list coming off his injured knee from last season. And John Bates has been dealing with a calf issue. What has stood out to you about Cole Turner? I think over the last four days, he's been the, you know, I mentioned Jahan and how productive he's been. Uh, McKissick is another guy that sticks out, but he's the play, he's the second or third playmaker right now in this offense. And you can tell the quarterbacks trust him. They want to get him the football. He's not uh, the most sudden guy on, in the entire route tree, but he runs certain routes better than a lot of people in the NFL. You know, he runs seams very well. He runs corners very well, uh, like kind of speed cutting his dig routes, his in-breaking routes. Uh, very, very high-level stuff from him in that regard. And he gets open, and he catches the football, and he has a tremendous catch radius and amazing dexterity when the ball's in the air. So I would expect, you know, like, I'm kind of looking to see if Scott expands his package and expands his usage and finds ways to get him uh, to be a bigger feature of this offense. Because, seriously, over the last four or five days, 
he's been outstanding. And so it's kind of a scary thought to think, you know, when Logan Thomas comes back, when he's on the field at the same time, what this offense could be. Uh, because obviously Carson seems to trust him. Taylor seems to trust him. And then that's a really good sign for that tight end room. And it's a really good sign for Cole's career. One more for you, running back. Uh, we know that the commanders like Antonio Gibson. Uh, we also know that he had some problems last season and that the team spent a third-round pick in the 2022 NFL Draft on a running back in Brian Robinson Jr. What do you think that the commanders are thinking with the distribution of carries for Gibson and Robinson this coming season? I mean, I think they needed a third guy, you know, like a third kind of, I don't say elite runner, but a third third NFL caliber runner. And that's not a, an offense to uh, Jared Patterson, who was an undrafted free agent last year. But I think they felt they could upgrade the position, especially for a guy like uh, Gibson, who has some injury issues, uh, a guy um, who is you know more of a space player is more effective in space he's a physical runner i'm not saying he's soft but finding a guy like brian robinson really complements what they do he's a guy that is a big body he's very physical as a runner uh, at least in college anyway and he has tremendous footwork and vision in the short area and i think adds a ton of value in that, that department you know adds, adds a ton of value as a guy who can take some shots off of gibson as a guy who can come in in specific situations and make this team uh, significantly better in those situations. So I think that's what he does. I think Gibson's still the guy. I think, you know, when you watch Gibson in practice, he looks he looks great. He looks like he's in good shape, looks explosive. And uh, Brian Robinson does not have that same level of explosion. But Brian Robinson's superpower, if I was going to give him one, is his vision and his, and his ability to make cuts in short area and really elevate the offensive line's production uh, from a blocking standpoint. So that's something to keep an eye on. And I think uh, it's exciting. It's an exciting problem to have two outstanding runners, and then obviously making sure McKissick gets his touches as well. Excellent. Commander's analyst and former Redskins tight end Logan Paulson breaking it down scientifically, making us all smarter. Uh, Logan, thank you very much for your time and all the best to you. Thanks, man. Well, we on Thursday night had a Nationals game that featured a rain delay that was longer than the actual game. Uh, game one of a four-game series at the Philadelphia Phillies. The Nats lost 5-4 in a rain-shortened game that lasted for just four and a half innings. Uh, time of game, one hour, 39 minutes. Uh, time of rain delay, two hours, six minutes. Uh, mercifully, the game was called. Uh, the Nats in the 2022 regular season now are a major league worst 36 and 71. Uh, the Nats in the game actually had 11 hits. Uh, yeah, the Nats over five innings totaled 11 hits. The Phillies starting pitcher was Noah Syndergaard, who the Phillies on Tuesday acquired via trade with the Los Angeles Angels. And the Nats, to their credit, smashed 11 hits off Syndergaard over five innings. But the Nats over those five innings only scored four runs. Uh, why? 10 of the Nats' 11 hits were singles. Uh, the Nats' lone extra base hit was a Victor Robles double. Uh, Robles on Thursday night as the Nats starting center fielder and number one batter, two for three with a double and a bunt single that he threatened to turn into a double. Uh, Robles in the Nats, one run first, had a leadoff opposite field double to right center field. And then Robles in the top of the second had a two-out first pitch push-bunt single toward the right side of the infield to beat the shift. And Robles actually threatened to go to second base for a double, uh, what would have been a bunt double, as no Phillies player initially was around the baseball. That was an interesting play. But uh, the number one offensive problem for the Nats this season has been their lack of power. Thursday night was a prime example. The Nats out-hit the Phillies 11-7 and yet lost 5-4. The Phillies hit two home runs. The Nats hit no home runs. Uh, the Nats in the 2022 regular season, over 107 games, have hit just 85 home runs. The Nats are 28th out of 30 major league teams in home runs. Now, here's what's funny about what happened on Thursday night. The Nats' ineptitude on the base paths was a big part of the game being called as opposed to being suspended. Uh, Yadiel Hernandez, he was an ad starting DH and number four batter as Nelson Cruz was out for a second consecutive game due to a stiff neck. Yadiel on Thursday night, two for three with an RBI single and another single. Yadiel in the top of the third had a one-out first pitch, opposite field single to left field. Yadiel in the Nats' two-run fifth had an opposite field RBI single through the left side of the infield on an 0-2 pitch to cut the Nats' deficit to 5-3. But Yadiel got thrown out at home by a mile 
on a Josh Palacios flyout double play for the third out. Uh, Yadiel was out by so much that he didn't even slide. Think about that. How often do you see that? A guy being out at home and not even sliding. Uh, just a really bad out on the base pass. Now, the Nats were taking a chance. The rain was coming. I suppose you could say, hey, it was worth a shot just because you never know. Uh, but here's the deal. Had Yadiel been safe, the game would have been tied at five and likely would have ended up being suspended as opposed to mercifully being called. Uh, but the Nats this season have been horrendous on the base pass. The Nats entered Thursday dead last in the majors in the 2022 regular season in fan graphs, all encompassing base running metric, base running runs at minus 23. And when I say that the Nats are dead last in that stat, I mean dead last by miles. The next worst team entering Thursday in base running runs was the Minnesota Twins at minus 12.7. So Nats dead last, minus 23. Twins next to last, minus 12.7. Think about that disparity. Uh, a bright spot for the Nats on Thursday night was the debuting Luke Voigt. Uh, the Nats on Thursday afternoon activated Luke Voigt. Uh, he was one of the six players who the Nats acquired from the San Diego Padres for, yes, right fielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell in the mega trade on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, this season is Voigt's age 31 season. Uh, he's under team control through the 2024 season. He can hit, and he hit on Thursday night. Uh, Voigt was an at starting first baseman at number three batter. He went two for three with an RBI single and another single, uh, although he did commit an error. But Voigt in the Nats, one run first, a one-out RBI single to left field on a 1-2 pitch for a 1-0 Nats lead in his first plate appearance as a Nat. Voigt in the Nats, two-run fifth, a first pitch opposite field single off the right field wall. Uh, yes, the rare one-base hit off the wall. Uh, now, Voigt did have that error. Bottom of the second committed a two-out fielding error as he had trouble fielding a well-hit grounder by Gene Segura. Here was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his post-game session with reporters late night on Thursday night on Luke Voigt. Oh, hey, like I said, he's, he's a professional hitter. Um, he drove in the first run for us, which was awesome, and then he comes up and um, Senegal was throwing some, some breaking balls, and, you know, he made an adjustment and hit the ball off the off the wall of right field, so, um, but, you know, we, we you know we knew that about him. You know, like I said, he's, he's, a, he's a big bat for us, so uh, he had a great, great first day. Yeah. Now, also joining the Nats on Thursday in terms of players acquired from the Padres was starting pitcher Mackenzie Gore. Uh, now, Gore currently is injured. He's dealing with elbow inflammation, but he is a well-regarded young pitcher. Mackenzie Gore entered the 2022 season as the number 86 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline, although this was a fall of him having entered the 2021 season as the number six prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. Uh, this season is his age 23 season. The Padres took Gore with the number three pick in the 2017 MLB draft out of a high school in North Carolina. Uh, the hope here is that Mackenzie Gore will start a few games for the Nats before the end uh, of the regular season. Uh, also, we have more regarding some of the players who the Nats got from the Padres. Uh, perhaps the most intriguing player who the Nats got from the Padres, shortstop C.J. Abrams. Uh, he is with the AAA Rochester Red Wings. Uh, the expectation is that he will be called up to the majors sooner rather than later. Uh, Abrams entered this season as the number nine prospect in baseball for both MLB Pipeline and Baseball America. This season is his age 21 season. The Padres took Abrams with the number six pick in the 2019 MLB draft out of a high school in Georgia. Uh, the Nats high A affiliate, the Wilmington Blue Rocks, they on Thursday officially welcomed outfielder Robert Hassel III, uh, who is the number 21 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. This season is his age 20 season. The Padres took Hassel with the number eight pick in the 2020 MLB draft out of a high school in Tennessee. Uh, meantime, the Nats low A affiliate, the Fredericksburg Nationals, they on Friday will be welcoming outfielder James Wood. Uh, he is the number 88 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. This season is his age 19 season. The Padres took Wood in the second round of the 2021 MLB draft out of IMG Academy in Florida. Uh, he's a local. He grew up in Rockville, Maryland. His initial high school was St. John's College High School in Washington, D.C. And Wood is a big dude. He's listed as being 6'7 
and 240 pounds. Uh, the only pitcher who the Nats ended up using in their 5-4, 4 and a half inning range short loss at the Phillies on Thursday night was Paolo Espino, and he struggled again. Uh, five runs in four innings. He gave up seven hits, two homers, and five singles. He had three strikeouts versus no walks. He threw 71 pitches, 48 strikes, versus 23 balls. Uh, Paolo in the bottom of the first gave up a one-out solo homer to Reese Hoskins to left field. Tatada gave it one. Paolo in the bottom of the third allowed four runs, gave up a three-run homer to Alec Bohm to left field for a 5-2 Phillies lead. Paolo in the inning gave up the homer and four singles. He has struggled as a starter for the Nats this season. Paolo now in the 2022 regular season. Overall ERA of 420. Uh, that's over 70 and two-thirds innings in 30 games, including 10 starts. Game two for the Nats at the Phillies, Friday night at 7.05. Josiah Gray will be the Nats' starting pitcher. Game three at the Phillies, Saturday evening at 6.05. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats' starting pitcher. And game four at the Phillies, Sunday afternoon at 1.35. Corey Abbott will be the Nats' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 371. We'll have a lot for you on the commanders off whatever goes down at the team's training camp over Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Keep in mind that next week is a commander's game week. <laughs> yeah, the commander's preseason opener is on Saturday afternoon, August 13th at 1. Uh, they will face the Carolina Panthers at FedEx Field. We will have the Commanders versus the actual Panthers. Uh, also, on Monday's show, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. And that's this weekend. We'll play the final three games of a four-game series at the Philadelphia Phillies. The O's this weekend will play a three-game series against the Pittsburgh Pirates at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. Rotimi Boomy.